Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to VUX World, the Practical Voice Podcast. This episode of VUX World is brought to you by Project Voice Catalyst. If you are in the market for conversational design services, for voice technology services, or if you have voice technology services or technology that you can offer to the market and you're looking to meet people who are interested in purchasing or acquiring those services, then you should check out Project Voice Catalyst. It's put together a service by uh, Bradley Metrock and his team at Score Publishing. You'll know Bradley Metrock from This Week in Voice. You'll know him from the Project Voice Conference. And he has set up a service specifically for you uh, to help you meet people who are interested in your services or meet people who can provide services. So if that sounds like it's interesting to you, which it might be, and I'm sure it will be, then you can just email ray at scorepublishing.us. That is R-A-Y at scorepublishing.us. Now, on with the show. This was recorded live on LinkedIn. This is a conversation with Hilary and Matthew Black, all about how you can create conversational AI-based SMS agents, that's text messaging services, using their platform, MAV. Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Live, I think. Dustin, you always seem to know when we're live before I do. Are we live? I think we're live. We're live. Nice one. Wicked. Here we go. So, welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to VUX World. I am your host, Kane Sims, and I am joined, as always, by your host, Dustin Coates. Dustin. How do? Going okay. How about you, Ken? Very well. Very well. Very well. Excited today to kind of bring some fresh perspectives to the whole conversational AI thing, really. We've covered a lot of voice. We've covered a lot of kind of chatbot stuff. We've covered a whole load of natural language-based stuff. But never, I mean, you've done a podcast actually, Dustin, on Twilio, which covers what we're going to cover today in part. But we've never really had a full episode finding people that that know this space inside out to discuss sms messaging and that's what we're going to do today with our guests hillary and matthew black hillary matthew welcome hey thank you very very welcome it's nice to have you on so dustin you've got a little bit of experience with sms based on on twilio and things like that right Uh, yeah yeah uh as i mentioned in the twilio episode for me messaging still seems pretty there's something, there's a beauty in it. Uh, just the ability to quickly send off a conversation. It's, it definitely reminds me of having my, my uh, Motorola StarTech and, and messaging my, <laughs> my high school girlfriend. There's something beautiful there. But uh, what you all are doing is, is actually not messaging high school girlfriends, but it's actually a little bit more productive as well. What is, uh, what is your business? What is the, the product that you're selling? Yeah, maybe I'll start and uh, Hillary can kind of tail in. So um, we run a company called MAV. Uh, MAV is an automated texting robot, primarily used to qualify, nurture, and re-engage leads. Um, Almost all of our customers are in the fintech space. So you can think of uh, mortgage lenders, uh, insurance outlets, and uh, lenders. So personal lending and business lending. Cool. And... How did how did you get into this kind of stuff then? Like where did where did all of this start? Maybe silly, maybe we'll start with you in terms of, you know, how did you get into to conversation design and 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 all that kind of stuff? Yeah. So um, to just say sort of how I got into conversation design in general, um, my background is in social media and in copywriting. So I was sort of a short form writer by trade um, and I have a lot of background in managing social media for brands anywhere from the agency side of like Beats by Dre, University of Michigan, and then Vine was my last sort of job before we started this. Um, And so in, I believe, 2016, um, and Matthew sort of has like the same story of how he got into this too, because we did it together. Uh, we built one of the first messenger bots. So right as soon as Facebook uh, started Messenger, we decided to build a few use cases, which um, I'll let him talk about. But essentially, that was my first experience as a conversation designer was saying, okay, there's this new thing. It's messenger bots. How can we make this? Um, And I took a lot of my experience as uh, a community manager, knowing how to sort of craft that dialogue back and forth between a customer and to an automated experience. And so from there, we, um, you know, built a lot of uh, early use cases 
did a lot of messenger bots. And then slowly over time, we um, had the idea that we wanted to get into SMS. And so while it is sort of similar to Messenger in the way that you design, it's obviously very, very different, which I think we're going to talk a lot about um, in this episode. Cool. What about you, Matthew? Where, where did you all kind of, so you started out with, with Facebook Messenger bots and stuff as well, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm kind of on the complementary side of Hillary. Um, my whole career has been in tech. Um, I was the CTO of a couple uh, startups before this one. Um, and when this kind of whole ecosystem happened in 2016 with Facebook, I kind of looked at it like a technical problem, much like most people did, right? And very soon did I realize, oh, wow, this isn't just a technical problem. This is also an equal parts creative problem. Um, so that's kind of when, you know, Hillary with her copywriting experience, it just kind of seemed to, to mesh really well together. Cool. So Mav then, so you mentioned Mav there is, is a solution that helps fintech companies kind of nurture leads and things like that. Do you want to kind of give us a, a bit of an explanation about like what it, what it actually does? Like how, how, how yeah. does it, what does a use case look like? Like talk us through what the process is and, and how, it, how, it, how it looks. Yeah, some of our most um, notable use cases are actually pre-qualifying someone for a financial service. So um, think of text, uh, you know, outlet to 31399 to pre-qualify for a mortgage or text X to 31399 to uh, get a quote for life insurance. That process um, yesterday um, and most commonly is done on a website, which is fine. Um, but it's a very confusing process. It's a very stretched out process. And our whole goal was to bring that in line, um, especially in Messenger and SMS, to allow customers to take their time to apply for these complex financial services. So the two-way kind of um, conversational element to pre-qualify for these services just made really, really good sense for us to latch on to. And also to add to that, I think before we get more into, you know, how we create these and everything is to really illustrate the difference between the type of texting that we're talking about, which is automated two-way texting, and then the type yeah. of automated texting that people know, which is sort of the broadcasting, the one-way blast that you're getting, um, things that you see on commercials of kind of what he was mentioning with the short codes of like, uh, the one that people know the most is probably text Joe to 3033 um, for Joe Biden. And so when you text a number like that, you are most likely getting just a message with a link. Um, and so it's not really um, an automated experience. Sure, the initial message is automated, but it's not the, the chat box that we know. It's not the two-way experience. And um there are very, very few of those where they're actually creating that dialogue that the user can text back and that there are texts that someone actually wants to reply to. So that's the main difference of like where we're sitting in this entire ecosystem and this new way that we believe um, is the way that customers prefer to interact with the company. It's not send me a bunch of messages or send me a bunch of coupons and then drive me to your website or drive me to call someone. I want to actually do something in this conversation. Interesting. So Mav then allows or facilitates that two-way interaction between a customer and a business whereby they'll get a text or they'll text the company to initiate it. And exactly. then there is a dialogue that goes backwards and forwards via the text automated to some kind of resolution. Exactly. Absolutely. And that resolution can be to pre-qualify someone for a uh, financial service. It can be to re-engage later down the funnel. Um, think of someone who fills out an application, abandons, abandons that application. Maybe they need to take a, a a step to sign a signature on a piece of paper, but they don't, they abandon that process. There's a lot of ways we could use um, SMS to help facilitate moving someone down that journey. Cool. And, and it's interesting to me that you move from messenger to SMS because SMS does seem like a little bit of an older technology and, and especially in Europe and Asia, it's not quite as commonly used. Is SMS still a relevant technology for most people in the US? Yeah, um, absolutely. I think 
the thing I would say the most, especially comparing SMS to Messenger, is that everyone uses it. Uh, more people are using SMS than using Messenger. Um, and yeah. it's sort of the common messaging platform that everyone is familiar with. Everyone knows how to use, no matter what age you are. Um, you can also use it without Wi-Fi. So that's another big thing that is a plus, is that you don't have to have internet access in order to respond to an SMS message. So that is definitely a big plus. Um, and I think in Europe and Asia, the popularity of other types of messaging apps probably skews that a little bit. You don't even need to have a smartphone, technically, then, do you? You can have a feature phone or Correct. anything. You can have that, yeah. that flip phone we were talking about earlier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The old school. I think the first flip phone I had was like an old school Vodafone. Like I used to think it was like the Matrix phone, but in reality, it was like about this long. And the flip did nothing at all. It was just a plastic little flip. Uh, it was just, just there purely to, to do nothing. Um, but it felt cool when you flipped it open, you know what I mean? Even though it didn't answer the phone, you'd have to flip it open and then realize you hadn't answered the phone and then answer the phone. And then <laughs> yeah, it, was a, it was a nightmare. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. But, um, but what's interesting is um, with text messaging, I know that Dustin, you were saying that, you know, people maybe are using, I don't know, WhatsApp or iMessage or something like that. But I read somewhere that the open rates on text messages are like ridiculously high, like well over ninety percent or something like that. Like what? Ninety-eight percent. Ninety-eight percent within the first five minutes. Wow, that is talk about that. And it's it's interesting oh. how that's the case because it's like email open rates are usually terrible, and most people think about getting oh you know we need to get people signed up to our newsletter kind of thing. Whereas ninety-eight percent open rate in the first five minutes is impactful. You don't get more impactful than that, do you? Definitely not. We have yet to find something close to that. And is that the kind of open rates that is that is that what you're experiencing through the projects that you've been running with Mav, or is this kind of like an industry standard known number? Yeah, I think there's a couple factors, and then Hillary, maybe you could share your your thoughts. But um, you know, it, it is an industry um, kind of stat across the board. Um, but I think there's a lot of factors that go into that timeliness. Um, one could be um, how engaged someone is in the process. So obviously someone who just filled out an application for a service, if we text them, the engagement rate um, and the open rate is going to be very, very high. Now, if you wait a little bit and that, that lead becomes a little bit more aged, um, you know, that open rate, that engagement rate is going to start to fall because um, their correlation to who you are as a brand and what they were doing um, starts to kind of uh, diminish a little bit. So there's a lot of factors, um, very similar to the same factors you would see in anything else like email. Interesting. So so the the part of then presumably, and we'll get more de more into the kind of creating side of things in a moment, but presumably then part of what you're doing when you're creating these experiences and working with clients is trying to, and this is probably something that's maybe different to, voice interfaces, broadly speaking, is that presumably part of your project is to try and establish how long after an interaction you should send what kind of message. Is that right? Absolutely. I mean, we, we spend a lot of time really thinking about the the scope and the time of when we should re-engage um, leads. And it depends a lot on the use case. Um, and, you know, Hillary can definitely talk a lot about that too. Yeah, I think, um, I guess, to the earlier point, when thinking about a sales type of message and thinking about if a person were to be filling out an application or just trying to get a quote for something, they're likely shopping around. And so the speed in it is incredibly important. And typically, um, you know, you imagine a world where you put your phone number into a website to say, like, I want to compare insurance and your phone starts blowing up instantly with people phone, like calling you on the phone over and over and over. And to the point where you're kind of like, I don't even want insurance anymore. I just want this to go away. I need to like change my identity because I don't want to be getting these people calling me. Um, and so to think of that sort of like speed to lead mentality, but if it were with a text message, um, it's not uh, that, it's not as burdensome as the phone calls, the voicemails, the like continuous follow-up. 
because it's something that the user can choose to look at or not. They can choose to act on it when they have time, when they want to, um, you know, when they're not driving anymore, that sort of thing. And we even see people go back to older messages and reply to them, you know, later on because it just wasn't a good time for them. And when someone is calling you incessantly, they don't care if it's a good time for you or not. So that's definitely one of the advantages that we see with um, text as opposed to other platforms. It's, it's funny that you mentioned that because I'm in the process of looking for movers and I just pulled up my phone. I don't know if you can see it. There's just, I can see just that a, just a ton. I think there, I got as yeah. many calls Wednesday afternoon as I did at the entire month of April. Yeah. Well, um, and and, and yeah. you're exactly, you're exactly right. Hillary after the, the first one is like, Oh yeah. Someone wants to talk to me after the third or fourth one. I was like, just, I'm not going to pick up anymore. Exactly. But they know that you're likely going to go with the first person who contacts mm -hmm. you. But what they don't know is if one of them were to send you a text message, that would probably be who you would want to go with. Mm -hmm. mm. Interesting that. Is, is there, so in terms of kind of bringing people onto the messaging sort of platform, if you like, in order to then have, have that kind of dialogue with them. You, you touched on an interesting point there, which was that if you were to, kind of have something on a website that is asking for your phone number, then there may be some kind of reluctance on the part of the user because they might think that they might just gonna, they're just going to get kind of like bombarded with a load of, you know, phone calls and things like that. Is, is, there, is there a reluctance for people to hand over their phone number or is it all about how you frame it in terms of kind of encouraging people to opt into this kind of stuff? Yeah, I mean... I'll give my two cents, but um, it's really all about framing, right? Um, if you're an act, if you actually are in the intent of trying to shop for a service or a product, um, and you find someone that you generally vibe with as a brand, um, you're going to want to give your phone number. Um, it's going to be required in almost any step of that process, and um, so then at that point, you kind of have two options. I can give them my phone number and say, "Hey, just call me." Or I could opt into a more convenient method for me as a user, which is saying, just keep me updated via SMS. I don't like uncalled phone calls or, you know, I, I don't, I'm too busy to kind of take these phone calls. So just keep me updated via SMS. It's the way I prefer. And I think there's some people who will obviously choose not to not do that. And, you know, maybe they just want email or they want phone calls. That's fine. But we think the demographic of people that are choosing to um, stay updated via SMS is growing exponentially because it's a lot more convenient for the, the consumer. And is it, do you find that when people opt in and I'll give you, I'll give you an example because I'm pretty sure I can find one, right? If I just go to my messages, then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven messages down. There's a message from EE, right? Mm -hmm. That's my phone network. I've got it on Do Not Disturb, but they'll come through anyway. Last message I got was Wednesday. And I just, I've, I've only just realized it now, right? They text me all the time, every few days. I can't, I can't respond to it, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I, don't I, I don't know if I can actually. Uh, it says... Uh, no, yeah, there's no call to action for me to stop apart from to text this number to, to opt out. But point being is that I haven't yet opted out and I still open the text messages. So is that a trend that you see more broadly? Is it when people opt in, they very rarely opt out or not? I think people opt out because uh, either their decision to buy is no longer active. They, they bought with someone else, they bought somewhere else uh, or bought something else um, or you're abusing the channel. Um, and, you know, I think Hillary definitely could talk about this, but um, those one way text notifications that you're getting, um, we find them kind of abusive, right? We find them borderline spammy. Um, and if you're going to be in my SMS uh, if you're going to be in my SMS, I expect to be able to have a conversation with you. And if I can't have a conversation with you, well, now I kind of, this, this interaction is limited uh, to me. Mm. Um, so Greg has commented and said that, uh, thank you, Greg, Gary V is killing it with winetext.com. Uh, and I know that he's got another, he's got another text messaging thing that I've, I've seen months back. Um, 
But Fred Zimmerman has also said, isn't there a danger that the growing popularity of SMS might ruin it for everyone? The kind of the old adage of marketers ruin everything. Is that, is that applying to SMS messaging? Will it apply to SMS, SMS messaging? What do you think, Hillary? I mean, look at Facebook, I guess. I think that when you look at the amount of time that messenger bots have been around, um, the way the landscape has drastically changed from you used to be able to do anything, send any message to anyone as much as you wanted and, and kind of anything goes. And now while there still are a lot of use cases where people are sort of like abusing the platform, they're kind of not using it in a way that the user is gaining any value from the conversation and it's more of that broadcast effect. Um, you know, I think that people have a greater tendency to opt out to that. People don't like that sort of thing. And I think that people will certainly find ways around and they'll find ways to just send all of these messages. But as you're saying, you know, you're getting messages from your phone company all the time and you still haven't opted out to it. Like it still hasn't reached that threshold where you're like, I don't want this anymore. Um, and so I think too that like there are sort of those experiences that are already ruining it a little bit because they're not using it in a strategic way, but we're still at the point where there are very few people that are using it in a strategic way. So you have a lot of opportunity to actually give value to your customers. You have uh, the opportunity to actually have this interaction that they're going to feel good about. And so I think there's a lot of room for those good experiences to come in right now. Yeah, I mean, if the experience is good and the consumer wants it, it's it, you're going to be fine, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's the experiences that the consumer doesn't want. And I almost think you could even go back to email. There was a time where email didn't have this section called the spam folder <laughs> and people ruined it, right? And then email providers and email clients made the spam folder. You can assume almost the same evolution for SMS. So what you need to do now is actually create a compelling useful strategic solution um, and that's how you will stand out and that's how um, you know your consumers can enjoy the experience mm. so <clears throat> we've, we've kind of touched on open rates um, we've touched on kind of subscribing interactions things like that two-way interactions um, what about the kind of the the conversion rate if you like you know, from, from the case studies and things that you've worked on, we know that, that seemingly people are, are fairly okay about opting into to this stuff. Um, we can maybe get into a bit of a, some, some more information about kind of the, the kind of frequency of how often people engage with it and things like that. But ultimately, the, the, these interactions exist to, for a purpose, for either, either for the user and or for the company. And so what kind of like, what does a good conversion look like from an SMS kind of interaction? Have you got any, either anything that you've been, that you've worked on that you can share anonymized kind of numbers or, or insights from, from other industry kind of case studies and things? Yeah, I can, I can briefly talk about that, especially as it relates to the business use case. And then I think Hillary can actually talk more about the tactical, you know, what makes an actual SMS experience good. Um, you know, from a, from a business use case, we're, we're seeing generally double digit increases from um, like full customer acquisition pipeline. Um, and it's mainly because um, a lot of our customers, they have dark spots in those funnels. Um, dark spots from, you know, stage A to stage B to stage C. And right now those dark spots are unfilled. Um, that's a user can stop the application. They can drop off. Um, and sometimes they'll find it, right? But by that time, it's two days later and they're trying to call and they're trying to text. So simply by putting enabling MAV um, over that customer journey, we're seeing generally across the board anywhere between 12 and 18% lifts. It's good, good analogy that. That's that's often what we've spoke about quite often, isn't it, Dustin? In terms of voice assistance and voice interfaces creeping into those moments where there would be dark spots or, or people are either unreachable or, or can't access you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and certainly you you both were talking earlier about you know being the the first to reach and, and things like that. 
another thing that I read recently in researching for this for this episode was something that Marks and Spencer in the UK does. I don't know if you're subscribed to their SMS game. Apparently, what they're doing is they're sending those text messages uh, about the time you'd be leaving work, and that I guess triggers uh, triggers you to go by and pick it up. Smart. Interesting. Interesting. Contextual, timely, highly relevant. Um, all those things you want to use to your advantage, um, especially if you have this openly persistent channel. Um, it's so rich. Mm. Interesting. Um, if you've got any questions for uh, Matthew and Hillary, feel free to stick them in the comments uh, as you have been doing and, and we'll, we'll field them uh, to Matthew and Hillary as we go through the discussion. Um, okay then, so... Let's maybe turn our attention to the creation of this stuff then. We've kind of touched on some of this uh, during the course of the kind of setup, but I think that we've kind of established now that um, the opportunity that exists in terms of almost everybody has a phone, regardless of if it's a smartphone or not, and text message or SMS open rates are ridiculously high uh, across the board. Um, so the, the, the market is there. The, the kind of potential for reaching people, Justin, you mentioned the timeliness, maybe we'll come into a little bit more on, on that as we kind of go through it, but then also the potential to, to convert. And, and Matthew had mentioned, you know, double digit kind of percentage conversion rates, which is also impressive. If you were um, approached or if, if anyone tuning in or, or in terms of when you work with clients to create one of these experiences, where do you start Maybe that's one for you, Hillary. Where, where, do, where do you start in terms of a client comes to you and says, or you, you have a client that, that you identify an opportunity for, what does the process look like of, of going from nothing to kind of getting set up on an SMS-based kind of uh, experience? Yeah, I can definitely cover the sort of like strategy and design aspect of it. And then maybe Matthew can talk a bit about the technology piece of it. Mm -hmm. um, and like the implementation. So in terms of actually creating, so say you have a customer who wants to create something to pre-qualify their customers. So essentially they want to replace their website form with a text message conversation, which is a very common use case that we have seen. It's a very successful use case. And the reason for that is that it's very predictable. So they have their set of questions already they know that a person is going to come to their website and say, you know, I want to get pre-qualified. There's an understanding between the user and the company that I'm going to have to give you some personal information. I likely know what those types of questions are. Um, and the answers are definitive answers. So they're not open-ended. Maybe they're a little bit open-ended, but they're likely just like a multiple choice question. So the thing that works the best, which is similar to Messenger, is those multiple choice questions. Um, so you would go you know, to your company and say, okay, give me your questions that you ask people um, and give me the answers for those. You know, Try to keep it to a certain amount of answers, a certain uh, character count, I guess, um, to sort of get into like not too specific, specific of best practice, but it is similar to Messenger in terms of length, you know, having a question be like 140 characters or so. But what we do with the multiple choice aspect of it is to ask the user instead of typing everything out to respond with like A, B, C, D. Um, so there is that sort of education aspect of it. And that's something that's important to understand from the, the company that you're working with is how much does your audience actually understand how to text? Um, do they understand how an automated uh, experience might work? Um, and so there may be some, some education that you want to build into the beginning of the experience when you are texting with, um, when you're automating texting with the customer, but then you want to just run them through their qualifying questions and make sure that you're delivering that in the least amount of questions that you need. So you avoid the user fatigue of it. And then also just making sure that at the end they get something and they get something from this conversation. They get the value from this conversation. So they understand why they did it. They know going in, I'm going to find out if I'm qualified. And at the end, I better find out if I'm qualified. Um, and so keeping everything in that sort of conversation of it um, 
And then in terms of the design, like as I mentioned, just having these questions formatted in a way that's very easy to understand. There's not a lot of reading. I've seen some text messages where it's like an entire paragraph that takes up your entire screen. And that's just not a, a best practice to avoid that fatigue where the user gets to the end of the question and they don't even really know how to respond. So we want to make sure that it is a lot of the other practices from Messenger, from other platforms of not being open-ended, of being very um, simple in the way that you're describing things and then having those options for people. But you have to type them out. Um, you as the designer have to type them out because there's no buttons. Interesting. So, so, it's, so it's a lot of it then is about taking existing content and almost repurposing it for a more accessible kind of platform. Is that mostly what tends to happen or are things also created for SMS platforms that are specific to that platform that is like new, fresh kind of interactions? There's both, I think. Um, there is, of course, the business use case of replacing a phone call or replacing a web form. But then there could be um, the ability to start something entirely new that you skip the, the website part of it. So you're either sort of bringing your like in the past experiences of the website to the future of um, messaging or you're creating something that may just be um, like a more creative experience. It might be more of like a story or it might be something that is um, replacing a newsletter. Um, there, I think there's a lot of different things that people could create. There could also be experiences that are SMS only. Um, they don't even exist like for an actual company. I've seen even um, there is a, a text message sort of like subscription that's interactive that's called the angry therapist and so the man um, texts out these sort of recommendations to people it's this interactive um, experience but he doesn't offer anything like that on his website that's the only way to gain that sort of content and so I think the exclusivity of it um, and then just knowing that you're going to be getting this value whether for a short period of time or a longer period of time yeah, I think, you know, from a very high level, um, we've always started with everything we build with how does someone engage in this experience and unlock value in this experience. It's not good enough to just take that form and replicate it on a automated texting chatbot, right? That's not good enough. That's just kind of bait and switch, we almost feel like. We want to leverage the platform to deliver the value as easy as humanly possible. And then also, there was one thing that Hillary said that I think is actually really important. Um, you now have the opportunity to layer in educational elements in this conversational copy, right? Um, whereas, you know, kind of the flat uh, interfaces we had previously, you didn't quite get that opportunity. And what I mean by that is oftentimes when we build uh, SMS playbooks later in the funnel, to specifically address these dark spots where leads drop, one of the questions we ask ourselves is, why do they drop, right? Most commonly, it's because they have some sort of doubt or confusion about the next step. So we use that opportunity to immediately address the most common worries about taking that next step, but we try to do it in a personalized, contextual way. So we try to build that trust, educate the user, and ultimately continue them down the funnel directly in SMS. So I think those two things are always, at least from my standpoint, what I always hyper-focus on, on is this a good use case? And if it checks those two boxes, it almost always is. It sounds fairly similar, Dustin, to, to creating any other conversational kind of experience, really, isn't it? Start, starting with where the value is. Yeah, yeah, it definitely does. Uh, I would imagine that there are are differences in, in the mechanism, but yeah, but uh, same same general approach. Mm. You mentioned there that um, you know that they frame the questions in terms of respond A, B, or C, or whatever, and that's kind of a common sort of thing. So if I, if I again, I pick up this this one from EE. It says text stop in capital letters to one two three four to opt out. So is it that you kind of frame or, or tell the user how to respond with A, B, or C, or that you need to text just a one word stop to, to opt out? 
is it that is it like that because it is more accessible and easier for people to do or is it like that because of some kind of technology kind of blind spot in terms of not being able to understand like longer natural sentences and things like that so it's two parts um the first is responding with a one single letter or stop um stop is sort of like the general opt out across everyone every experience everywhere same with help Mm -hmm. um that's like required by law um but the for example you can't see my screen but this is a conversation with mav um Mm -hmm. and so certain questions I'm saying, you know, why do you, why do you want to refinance your home? Um, the options being lower my payment, pay off faster, take cash out. It's a lot easier for me to just reply C than it is for me to write out, take cash out because mm-hmm. there's a lot of risk in the person not replying correctly. However, we do a lot um, with the natural language aspect of it to open up for, of course, you can't reply multiple choice for your name. Um, You can't reply multiple choice for your zip code. Um, And so there's a lot of things that you can build into the design to bring up the suggested replies, which are things stored in your phone, like your email or your zip code. But there's always going to be um, aspects where you can't give every single answer. And so in that case, um, you want to be able to do the natural language understanding, which um, Matthew can talk a lot more about that, too. Yeah, it's actually one of the reasons why we built our own framework, exactly what Hillary is talking about. Um, You know, we use the multiple choice quick replies, A, B, C, D, um, as a way to uh, prevent conversational fatigue. Um, It's a lot easier to just type those things. But at the same time, we're always ready for anything. We have to be, right? Um, So, for example, uh, you know, uh, how much do you want to put down on your house? Obviously, we give the ranges 3.5, 5, 20, um, you know, other. So many times people either, I mean, imagine all the ways you could respond to that. You could say, I want to put 70% down. You could say, I have Mm $15,000, right? Mm -hmm. Totally two different types of context, right? So um, when we think about NLP, there's actually two layers to it. There's the global intent collection, which is handling things like stop and help and uh, I want to talk to someone or something completely out of the scope. And then there's in context NLP. And every time we we ask a new question, we switch the intents that are applicable to being in context or not. Um, And being able to stack the way we do that intent collection is something when we started building bots, we saw nothing out there that allowed us to kind of stack this framework in the way we needed to. So that's why we ended up creating our own. Um, and that that kind of pattern of doing it that way has worked out pretty well. Um, and it allows us to really kind of improve it behind the scenes without drastically changing anything in um, the conversational scripts. And Matthew, you said you build your own framework? Yeah, so um, we we built our own framework. It's called Stealth. It's MIT open so uh, MIT open source on GitHub. Version one is out for developers. You can go to GitHub. You can download it. Um, it's based off the Ruby framework. So we we derive a lot of inspiration for Ruby on Rails convention over configuration. It's a developer framework, right? Um, very similar to Botkit, uh, what Microsoft is doing, um, and uh, right now. We actually are using 2.0 inside of our company, and we like to kind of test our own kind of evolution. And uh, once we get onto 3.0, maybe we'll choose to also open source 2.0. But for the time being, we got a lot of secret softs we're working on with 2.0 that we're keeping inside. Cool. So, so what you're explaining there then is you have global intents that anyone can respond with at any time throughout the whole experience, like stop and help. But then whenever you ask a specific question, you essentially have uh, an intent that you're listening for at that moment in time, which could be ABC or uh, it could be something that people respond to with, with just typing something, natural language kind of thing. Is that, is that right? 
That's exactly right. And we call that in-context NLP. Um, and that's only specific to the state that the user is in. Um, and the state is constantly changing. Um, and even things external, then the conversation can change the state too. So we need to be prepared to constantly change the context and state that the user is in, and then also change um, you know, how we even look at what intent to look for. Um, otherwise, you have an experience that just is very out of sync with an actual way that a conversation happens, right? Hmm. Interesting. And this framework, so the framework then will allow um, a developer to to do what? What is is it? Is it the NL the NLP that that's part of the framework? Is it or is it just? Uh, yeah. So so the version one of Stealth, which is open source right now, is actually just a really good way for you to build a chatbot with using many different tools out there. So you could plug in Twilio, you could plug in Facebook from a connector standpoint, you could plug in um, uh, wit.ai, you could plug in um, you know, any of your other NLP engines. You can even use multiple if you want. Um, it's, it's kind of a de developer philosophy of convention over configuration. So you build your domain knowledge and then you connect in all the services that you want even swap them out. Um, the, uh, the way we handle NLP right now, unfortunately, that is not in the open source framework. That's kind of our intellectual property right now. Mm -hmm. um, but as we evolve as a company, we may choose to kind of push some of that back into the open source framework or, or keep it ourselves. We'll have to see how, where the business takes us. Interesting. And so Hillary, when you're creating these things, are you kind of, are, are you from a, so, the way that we've kind of the way that we kind of approach design is to is to create something that's the best version that, that it can be, with a kind of consideration of where it's going to end up, so that you don't do something that can't actually be built, but you're still kind of trying to search for the the the, the holy grail, so to speak. Is that the same sort of approach that you have, or do you kind of is it is it horses for courses in terms of every client is different and that you might approach things in a different kind of way or is it almost like a format and a, and a kind of template and approach that you have to create in these experiences yeah i mean i'm always going to approach it the way that that i think is best i think so so in terms of you know new use cases um we're going to take everything that we've learned and say this is actually the best way to do that versus the other way around um, and of course, it's going to depend on the use case in the way that if we're saying we're doing question and answer and there's something else that they need, like they need a secure form or they need um, something that's not within how we typically have designed our experiences, that would require a different approach. But in general, I think that I always am going to shoot for best case scenario, of course. And so I'm going to want it to be the best for the user. I'm going to want them to be able to get from the experience from beginning to end without having any errors and something that's going to happen very easily. And so definitely wanting to push back when there might be too many questions or when it might seem like a question is very confusing and it needs um, some clarification or thinking that it might be better to explain this in a different way. It might be better to use media, it might be better to have the question be open-ended as opposed to multiple choice because we expect a lot of people are going to say many different things, or it might be better to leave certain questions to after the experience is over. So that being something that the business is going to handle during the approval process versus something that we're going to handle in the bot. So we wanna make sure that we can deliver on what we're promising to the user and so if we can't deliver on something, I don't want to say that we can. Um, and so the expectations of it definitely are something that I go with first, I would say. Mm. Is there a sweet spot in terms of how many interactions is the the kind of right amount? Because I know that, you know, with, with the likes of smart speakers, then the, people don't tend to go as deep unless it's a engaging, purposeful, engaging experience. Um, is, is there a sweet spot for the number of kind of turns that, that you have in these or is it totally dependent on, on the use case? I think it depends. Um, I think it depends on how the questions are being asked. Um, again, like if it's something where 
they are applying for a mortgage and they need to know a lot of things that they might not know, or if someone needs to know their credit score and they have to go find it. Um, I think all of those things are sort of the sticking points where you might see drop. And so just making sure that you're aware of that. Um, I'm not sure if Matthew, if you have any like knowledge about specific length of time, but we always try to keep things short and I would, I would rather have it be as short as possible and get to that um, answer. And so certainly in terms of like, things outside of just the qualification questions, as you would call them, um, just conversation for conversation's sake, I would say is not something that you should be doing in SMS that you probably would do in Facebook or in the website chatbot. Um, just having that extra, like having things throughout the experience to say, hey, there's only three more questions is, is something that is adding value, but just that sort of lengthy conversation of you know introducing the bot or, or things that aren't adding um, anything to the experience should be avoided, I would say. Yeah, two things. So one, we have really short attention spans. We're humans and it's getting worse, right? <laughs> There's so many distractions out there. So um, the smaller and the more compact you can make the experience, the better. But also don't forget, um, we're on a persistently open channel. So uh, lean into that, right? Um, you know, on a website, if you sit down to fill out a form for life insurance, you gotta, you gotta fill out that whole form in that one sitting, not us anymore. Like if you want to do this over the course of days, weeks, or even months, we see totally cool because it's automated. Um, the company doesn't care. And ultimately you're like, yeah, great. I'll do a question a day if I really want to. Um, so those are two things that I kind of would say to that. Hillary, to go back to what you were saying earlier about uh, if you're on Facebook Messenger or, or WhatsApp or whatever, maybe these types of small talk is useful, but not on SMS. What's different about the channel that makes it appropriate for, for the one and inappropriate for the other? Um, I don't necessarily know that it is um, more like appropriate or not for others. I just think it's more common to see it on um, Facebook or on a website. Um, just because of like the nature of the platform, people are spending those longer sessions in that place versus SMS to me is like a multitask sort of tool. Um, so a person is using their phone to check their text messages, but they may also be doing other things at the same time. But since it's that open channel, like they have the ability to do that. They have the ability to go hours and hours without responding to anything and they can still be saving their progress versus Facebook and, um, and websites, you can't do that. And so I think they sort of try to keep the conversation moving and moving and moving. Um, and that a lot of time ends up extending the dialogue. And then if we think about copy specifically, so uh, Hillary, with your background in social media, you probably thought a lot about voice and how to craft those, those messages and text messages are, are sort of uh, traditionally or classically known to have a very specific vernacular. Do you adopt that or is it a mixture of business and, and casual or where do you go with that or does it depend? I always defer to the, the customer uh, or sorry, to like my customer, the client. Um, and so I always take into account their brand and, and how they talk. And I think a lot of um, the insight can be led by their social media presence. And so there's a lot that I would look at to like, how would you talk on Twitter being the same as how you might talk in a text message in terms of like the abbreviation aspect of it. Um, I haven't tried that out, but I think that it's something if it made sense for the brand, it would make sense. Um, we use emojis all the time, um, and we definitely try to keep things in a more casual setting where it's appropriate. However, there's certainly cases where it's not appropriate in, like, um, for a legal customer. We may not want to be using super casual language. However, if their customers are teenagers, then we would want to be taking that into account the same way that you would for any online presence that you're developing. What images? Do you send much images? You mentioned emojis. Do you send images as well or is that not something that is a done thing? 
it costs money. It's I can see maths yeah. going like this. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's the other thing you have to keep in mind when developing for this platform, right? This is not a free platform like Facebook Messenger. Um, so even in structuring the text, um, I don't know if you guys, you know, this is probably good for all the listeners to know, but the more you send, the more segments you're going to have to pay for. So if you send a whole paragraph of text, that might be two or three segments, which is, you know, could be upwards of 30 cents, right? And that starts, add, that starts adding up at scale. Um, images classify as a multimedia message. Um, so that's going to end up costing you a lot more than text. So you got to really be creative um, on how you kind of make these scripts um, to really kind of manage that bottom line of, of the cost of text. Will RCS be having any impact on what you're doing or, or your, or the messaging that you're sending? Absolutely. Um, and I'm looking forward to it in 2025. <laughs> okay. RCS. Yeah. What is that? So RCS is a protocol um, that uh, started with Google and the idea was to get everyone involved. Um, everyone who provides texting uh, to um, kind of elevate the functionality of SMS. Very similar to iMessage um, on Apple's platform, but RCS would kind of be the global one. Um, I, it is live on Android, but only Android right now, and I believe only for certain providers. So, and because of that, we do not really support it. Um, we're waiting for kind of general availability, um, but when that does come out, it will address a lot more of those, those concerns. Um, and a lot of the more richer UI elements you see in Facebook Messenger can come over to text message. And we're looking forward to that um, when that when that does happen. Do providers get read receipts with RCS as well? I believe so. Um, I'm not quite sure, but I wouldn't be surprised, um, especially if it follows kind of the same functionality of Facebook Messenger. Hmm. Interesting. So, so it pays then. So Hillary, when you're, when you're kind of like teaching people how to design conversations, you've, you've well and truly got kind of like the carrot, which is concise things is a better, more pleasurable user experience, but you've got the stick, which is if you make this too wordy, it's going to cost you a hell of a lot more if you send a hundred or 200,000 of these things. Yeah, absolutely. Those costs will add up. And and I didn't think that, you know, that probably is the exact reason why people are more wordy um, on Messenger and on websites, which is both you can send media and it doesn't cost you anything and you can send as much as you want and it doesn't cost you anything um, versus us. Sometimes the text will get a bit too long and similar to writing copy for Twitter you need to make sure that you stay within those limits. Um, and it works the same way as like when you're texting your high school girlfriend in high school and you would get like one out of three and then yeah. it would send the messages one at a time. So that's what it is based on. Um, we still receive the messages all in one message because we have smartphones. But if you didn't have a smartphone, you would receive it as separate messages, which is not ideal at all. Wow. That is interesting. Another thing that's interesting is that you've kind of touched on a number of times, both of you have touched on it, that it is a persistently open channel and therefore someone can respond to something in three weeks' time if they want to and it doesn't really make much of a difference. How do you then measure whether something is, is successful? Because ultimately everything can still be kind of open unless someone opts out. And I, I appreciate it's probably going to be in the minority of people that do that, yeah, I don't imagine it's like the vast majority, but how do, how do you measure the success of something then if the, if the channel can be persistently open like that? Does it affect the um, way that you measure success? Yeah. So, so I'll answer and then Hillary can give her two cents. Um, so this persistently open channel is the basis of our company. And I explain that to every customer I, I talk to about really getting on the same page of why this is so powerful. And as far as it being persistently open and you could respond to it in a, a year from now, um, that is the majority, or I'm sorry, the minority of people who actually go that far. But there's also another element to it, which is that we, um, as, as the provider, can re-engage that customer 
over the course of days, weeks, or months. So whatever context that user's in, we already know the re-engagements we're going to send at later intervals, right? And eventually they come to an end, right? We're not sending you a text message five years from now, right? Mm -hmm. Eventually they always have an end. So we're able to look at that as a funnel as well, right? So, um, you know, it's not always these step one, step two, step three, it's almost kind of like sidetracks. And we can see where people are in those re-engagements. And we know, um, you know, kind of generally where people sit. So uh, when you do a, a, an experience, you really got to give it time to kind of flesh out. Um, but there always is an eventual end. Um, and in our case, it could be months from now. Interesting. I like that. I like that concept because Dustin, don't you find sometimes that with certainly with voice assistants, sometimes the mic isn't left open for quite long enough for you to even think, let alone to go back and resume right exactly where you were in three weeks' time. Yeah, and certainly for for use cases like uh, like you are tackling, where it is more maybe money based, it uh, seems to be perhaps larger larger amounts of money. There's a it deserves a little bit of air, a little bit of breath, a little bit of time to, to think about it. Absolutely, it does. Um, and that's uh, uh, just 100%. Um, when you're in that buying and educational phase, like you don't want to be rushed. You need to do your, your research. You need to really go see uh, what the landscape looks like. And if we're there nurturing you, staying up to date every single day, checking in in a very non-pushy salesman type of way, um, you have that opportunity to be top of mind when they eventually get to that, the end of that buying cycle. I love that. That's a really good, that's a really good kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Essentially, sometimes when you, when you are working on certain projects, you sometimes get kind of, the brief will be to do a messenger bot or to do an Alexa skill or to do something. So it almost as if like the, the solution's already there before you've really investigated the problem. And that's always the case. And it always has been the case I've worked in digital transformation for a long time. And it's always solution ahead of the problem. And half of the, half of the battle is picking through what the actual problem is, identifying what the real business challenge is, and then working out what an appropriate solution is for the user. And I think what, what, I appreciate you helping me and Dustin and, and the rest of the people listening kind of come to a realization of, and Dustin, you can kind of give your kind of thoughts as well is that it's, it's a reinforcement essentially of choosing the right technology for the right use case to solve the right problem, to provide the right kind of value to the right person at the right time. And that where it's something where there needs to be an element of thought or an element of time or an element of uh kind of not an immediate like quick 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 um or where something is is a decision making process that takes people a while to come to terms with like buying a car or something like that then having that text message to for the company to first for, to, to reprompt and restart the conversation if it goes quiet but then also for the user to do so and, and engage in their own time whenever they get five minutes you know pick the phone out and, and, and do it rather than being forced into an interaction that they might not necessarily have time with and so that's kind of as, as well as the other things that we've discussed which which uh, have been really useful i think that's that's a really vital thing really is is to the, the value of using this kind of technology in those kind of use cases what do you, what do you think Dustin? have you got any kind of any other sort of thoughts on, on what we've been discussing yeah, certainly. And it, it's not SMS and nothing else, right? Uh, SMS is part of the funnel. Uh, SMS is, is another touch point. Uh, it's in, it serves different purposes, but complements those other purposes as well. Exactly. Wicked. Well, Hillary, Matthew, it's been an absolute joy having you on. I've learned a hell of a lot. Uh, I'm sure everybody else has as well. Where can people go to, to learn more about Mav or, or to learn more about designing these kind of interactions or any, any kind of resources or helpful places that you can send people to learn a bit more? Yeah, um, I will start first with uh, resources for conversation designers if you're interested in SMS. Um, we just released a guide, which is the complete guide to automated texting. It will cover everything from what it is, how you can use it, and what strategic ways you can implement it. Um, and so in order to get that, you can just add Matthew or I, Matthew Black or Hillary Black on LinkedIn, and we can send it to you. Um, I also have a Facebook community. It is called Chatbot Conversation Designers Internet Club. 
and I can post a link to it in LinkedIn as well. Um, but that is a place where I post all about my best practices, strategies, and there's about a thousand other conversation designers that you can network with from voice to messenger to SMS, um, all sorts of different experience levels. Um, and so that is the best place for anyone to connect. And I also have an online course with UX Writers Collective that is chatbot writing and design. Um, it's not focused on SMS, but there certainly are a lot of principles for people if they want to learn that can apply to SMS. Cool. Well, we'll put those links in the show notes and also on the post on LinkedIn after this. And Matthew, if there is any people in the fintech space listening, any, any kind of marketers or innovation managers or strategists or anything like that, how can they go about uh, getting on board with Marvin and finding out a little bit more about it? Yeah, if there's anyone here um, who's in the fintech space, uh, specifically mortgage, insurance, and lending, um, head over to HireMav.com, H-I-R-E-M-A-V.com. Um, and in there, you can schedule a demo and a time to chat uh, with me. Cool. Well, Hillary, Matthew, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. As I said, we've learned a hell of a lot and uh, I'm, I'm confident that our, our listeners have done so as well. So mm -hmm. thank you both so much. All of those links uh, that we've just spoke about will be on the LinkedIn uh, post after this and also in, in the show notes on the podcast, if you're listening on the podcast and on the website as well. So as always, thank you, Hillary. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Dustin. And thank you all for listening or watching. <laughs>